Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Episode 12, Embroidery. Let me tell you what truly horrifies me. When I arrive at work, descend to the basement floor of the Orion Building Concern, that windowless cubicle-filled vault where I settle into my chair with a strong cup of coffee in a humorously captioned mug, I turn my desktop on, watch the monitor flicker to life, and from the other side of the cubicle wall opposite me, I hear the sound of Kenneth's stress ball, clenching with a violent and constant squeak. It may just be the worst sound in the world. After a few minutes of intense rhythmic squealing, Kenneth's head appears above the parapet. He asks me in his shrill whimper of a voice if I did anything fun last night. I stayed in, I tell him. Kenneth says, that's good, that's good. Nice quiet one, right? Keeping it fresh. He asks me if I'm doing anything fun tonight. I'm staying in, I tell him, and return my attention to my screen. 
few seconds later, I feel as if I am no longer being observed, and the sound of the stress ball returns. I have met people like Kenneth before, in askew and elsewhere. There's more than a touch of the schoolyard about him, the perpetually bullied adolescent who somehow only grew clumsier and sweatier and more helpless inside his own body as he became an adult, a man who never learnt to pick a haircut or choose clothes that fitted him, or to hide his desperate, lonely agitation when attempting to fit in. The rest of the office, as if quite instinctively, ignore him, or speak of him with a scorn that's so self-explanatory that even new starters understand by their third week that this is a man to be sent out on menial tasks or bypassed in the queue for the printer. Kenneth never attends any meetings, never leads on any projects. As far as I can tell, he seems to spend the vast majority of his time sat in that cubicle, squeaking or mercifully silent, where nobody visits him. Our basement office is otherwise deserted. Nobody else comes down here. It's as if Kenneth has been assigned to me as a particular kind of punishment. Every day at 8.59, I watch him bounce into the office in an ill-fitting shirt, an absurdly large camper's rucksack on his shoulders, far larger than it needs to be to carry his packed lunch and notebook, Every day at 5.01, I watch him rise from his cubicle, sling that rucksack heavily back over his sweating shirt, and depart. I believe that Kenneth is as real as I am, if only because I cannot imagine Eskew creating something so impossibly human and uncertain and weak. There's no way he's going to survive here. I'm eating my lunch alone in the canteen one day, when Kenneth's campaign to befriend me begins. Sliding into the seat opposite me, something grey and phlegmy slopping in a soup bowl upon his tray, he makes a sort of, can I sit here gesture, even though of course he is already settled in front of me like a gurning Buddha, rattling his glasses and saying something desperately crude and inane like, Have you seen Sabine in accounting on the fourth floor? She's something to look at. I answer dully that I haven't. Kenneth repeats, She's something to look at. He keeps nodding his head at me as if this observation is somehow meaningful or interesting. I tell him that my work doesn't often take me to the fourth floor, and in fact, as a rule, I prefer to keep my eyes to myself. I lower my gaze towards the fat wedding ring upon his finger. To a more self-aware man, I have no doubt that this would be devastating, but Kenneth does not appear to notice. You should go take a look, he whispers at me like the last pervert in the shop. Go and take a look, then report back. I think you'd have something to say about it. I ask him bluntly, 
How's your wife, Kenneth? His expression shifts. His eyes seem to glaze over very slightly. She's great, you know, he says. Everything a man could ask for. And the kids, too? My girls? Dynamite. I I mean, when I first came here, if you'd have told me that I'd be so lucky as to find a local girl and settle down, I'd have said, Kenneth, this is only a flying trip. You don't have time for a relationship, let alone children. You'll be out of here before you know it. He takes a photo out of his wallet and attempts to show it to me. I'm happy here, he says. She's made me realise that. I found something here with her. I rip open the lid of my yoghurt and begin to devour it as quickly as I can. Desperately trying to keep the conversation going, Kenneth says, You're with, uh, uh, and waves his hand at me. Allegra, I tell him with my mouth full. She works at the town planners. I finish the yoghurt, drop the spoon onto my tray, and get decisively to my feet. Must be nice, Kenneth says, smiling up at me. Must be, I reply. Well, better get back to it. Like an idiot, he nods along, echoing my words. Better get back to it. Well, isn't that the truth? We should go for brewskis sometime, you know? Hmm, I say and depart. At the threshold of the canteen, I turn back and observe as Kenneth picks up his tray, sitting down opposite another lonely diner, asking the same absurd, vulgar question. Have you seen Sabine in accounting? She's something to look at. I don't know if there's an HR team in the building... And selfish though it might be, it does occur to me that by making any kind of official complaint, I'd only be yoking my fortunes and my name to Kenneth. I very much do not want to be associated with Kenneth. Better to stick to myself. Better not to get involved. I resolve instead just to steer clear of him from now on. following morning, and for a week after that, the stress ball is working double time. A rapid squeal of distress from the cubicle opposite mine. (coughs) And my haunting begins. Everywhere I turn, everywhere in the building I attempt to find solitude or solace, Kenneth is already there. Like a parasitic rash that as you turn different regions of your body towards the mirror, proves to have spread to places that you thought were safe. Waiting for me on the sole unoccupied canteen table, waving amicably as I approach, hiding out in the empty meeting rooms on the 18th floor, at the old cafe where I like to hide on Friday afternoons. I try my very best to avoid him, eating my lunch alone for weeks at a time beneath the grey colonnades of the church to the new gods which stands beside the river. But somehow Kenneth finds me there, one drizzling Monday, clutching a brown paper bag 
that turns out to contain a single poorly wrapped burrito. I have a problem, he says. David, I really think I have a problem, and I I just need to vent, you know? I hope you don't mind if I just vent to you about it. I stare at him in sullen silence as he tears the tinfoil back from his wrap, gazes at it in admiration for a moment, and begins to eat. The entire ill-conceived object collapses as he bites into it, spilling refried beans all down his hands and face. Kenneth talks with his mouth full, spitting rice at me. It's just the strangest thing, and I know that my wife loves me, she says as much all the time. Sometimes I wake up and she'll just be standing there over the bed whispering, I love you, and that feeling of certainty, there's really nothing like it, but I keep having this dream. I should say nothing. Or perhaps I could change tack, mention the football invent some convivial anecdote about getting drunk last week and vomiting into my shoes. Perhaps I should mention Sabine, since he seems to care so much about her looks. Instead I ask, what dream? Kenneth says, it's the strangest thing. It really is. I'm lying in bed, dozing away, and when I open my eyes... My wife and my two daughters are standing over me, dressed for school and for work, in suits and skirts, with the same broad smile on all three of their faces. They're holding yarn needles, about a foot long and pointed and thick. They look at me and they say, Stitch, stitch, stitch. Stitch, stitch. Stitch. And as I flail upwards trying to get loose from the confines of the duvet, they're already on top of me, my daughters pressing their frail bodies against my chest, my wife straddling my hips, all three of them repeating happily, Stitch, stitch, stitch. Stitch, stitch, stitch. And they tug at the loose skin around my neck and shoulders and arms, stabbing the needles down, winding the thread through my flesh, and I cry out, asking them, my loves, why are you doing this? You're hurting me. But whatever they are doing to me, they're so happy to be doing it. Tearing the bedsheets, sewing the white silk through my skin, pulling it taut. They start giggling, and I know that I must look both quite absurd and extraordinarily beautiful because they've given me white wings that pierce through my arms, white plumage that's sewn in through my ears and cheeks and eyelids, the white and bloody tail of some noble new bird, sewn into the bed and sinking beneath my own weight into the depths of the mattress. And then they lift me, and in that motion I can feel the weight of my body slipping away from me, my flesh sloughing loosely free, As if I am nothing but skin now, a taut sheet of skin and silk gazing up at my family, blinking helpless tears as they hold my corners and yank me tight to pull out my wrinkles, marvelling at what I've become. And the damnedest thing, Kenneth says, that the damnedest thing is when I wake up and go downstairs. 
I take my place at the breakfast table and tell them, My daughters, my wife, I dreamt you loathed me. I dreamt you were hurting me. That's when they all start to laugh together, as if there's some shared joke here, smiling back at me from the far end of the table, saying, Stitch, stitch, stitch. Stitch, stitch, stitch. I almost ask him, Are you so certain it's a dream? But I catch myself. I'm staying out of this one. Did you ever hear of such a thing? Kenneth asks me. He gives me a searching look. I know you've been here longer than I have. Do do you think there's maybe some Escovian game, some quirk of humour that I haven't understood here? Do you think I'm being irrational? The people of this city can be difficult to read, I tell him precisely. But I'm sure their love for you is as real as they are. That's all he's getting. He begins to open his mouth again, so I quickly add, Or perhaps you're just feeling guilty about spending so much of your time ogling your colleagues. Kenneth stares at me for a second, and then laughs. You mean Sabine, he says. Did you go up and take a look yet? I really think you'd have some opinions on her, David. I mean, wow. I roll my eyes and check my watch. It's time I got back to work, I say, getting to my feet. Enjoy your burrito, Kenneth. I can feel him staring hopelessly after me from beneath the shadows of the church. That evening, I'm packing up my things in the empty office basement when I hear Kenneth's stress ball squeaking violently and rapidly. (coughs) Apparently he's working late. I can't blame him for that by the sounds of what's happening in his home. I gather up my satchel and keep my head ducked as I creep down the aisle safely hidden from the other side of the cubicle walls. Next, the emails begin. Re our conversation. Things have changed. Need to talk. Re, feel like I can really speak freely with you. Be good to chat. Re, brewskis? No, you're busy. Just have a few home issues to talk through. All of them go into a distinct, unread folder in my inbox, labelled Kenneth. I can't hide from him forever, of course. Three weeks later, Kenneth corners me in the men's toilets, sweating and pale, his eyes bulging, and his lanyard swinging about his neck like a noose. They bought the needles he hisses, just left them out in the hallway for me to see, all wrapped up in brown paper. David, what does it mean? I gently shake myself loose from him. When they came to me, he moans, I thought things were finally looking up. I'd kept my head down, I'd behaved. I feel a sudden twinge of sympathy. If I die in a skew, it'll be because I believed in something that does not, cannot, exist. Mercy, 
justice. A final reward for those who persevere beneath the random bloomings of cruelty and madness. Kenneth glances into the stalls as if he's expecting to see his wife and daughters there. I don't know what to do, he whispers. I can't take it any more. I know when I go home they'll come for me, and I don't think I have it in me to fight them off. You need to help me, David. I need to get out of here. Kenneth, I tell him, firmly and clearly, in case the city is listening, I'm very sorry that this is happening to you, and you don't deserve it. But I can't help you. If you're concerned for your own safety, you should leave the house. Maybe call the police. He shakes his head. They can't help me, he says. Nobody can. There's something accusatory in his tone. One way or another, David, I'm getting out of this. I've made up my mind. Can you help me? I look into his eyes and tell him, I'm sorry. I truly am. But I can't get involved in this. Kenneth hesitates for a moment and then nods. You found someone, he says. That's a gift, all right, but it can also be an anchor, you know? It can hold you in place. I reply that the Orion building concern might be able to help him find temporary accommodation if he needs it. That makes him gasp with sudden hysterical laughter. Orion, he says. Goddamned Orion. Did you go and see Sabine in accounting, David? A bizarre grin creeps across his face, and he begins to giggle, running his slick hands over his sweaty cheeks. I told you, didn't I? You should have checked her out. Really something to look at. I hiss at him to get a hold of himself before someone hears, and he shakes his head, still chuckling. I'm sorry, David. Uh, Really, I am. I've asked too much of you. I shouldn't have tried to get you involved in my affairs. You have your path, and I have mine. It's just, when you spend all day at work, it's only natural to reach out to the people nearby. He extends his hand. Baffled, I take it. If I don't come into work on Monday, Kenneth says, with a look of sudden extraordinary sincerity, you should raid my cubicle. Take my chair. It has lumbar support. Nab my stress ball, if you want it. Thank you, I venture, and he lets me go. Good luck, then, is all he says before he leaves me alone in the bathroom. I do glance in at Kenneth's cubicle before I leave the office that night. He sits, squeezing that stress ball between his fingers, rocking back and forth in his chair, surrounded by framed photos of his wife and children, his feet resting upon his absurd heavy rucksack. His gaze is oddly far away, like a man who's trying to make sense of something in his head. I walk on.
Hope may just be the worst thing in the universe. I know, as I enter the glass doors of the Orion Building Concern on Monday morning, that whatever horrible event was going to happen to Kenneth, whatever grand climax Askew had in store for him, will already have happened. I know that I will never hear the hideous squeak of his stress ball again, or have to gaze into his sodden, quivering face as he attempts to make small talk. But I hope. And when I sit in my chair and turn my desktop on, the empty silence from the cubicle opposite weighs upon me like a halter. Like shame. Like I've lost a part of myself. I stare at the blank wall for a second. And that's when it hits me. I get to my feet and I run for the lift. On the 14th floor, I stop, and it takes everything I have in me not to laugh out loud with joy. Sabine from accounting is easy to spot. She limps in a ragged circle, round and round in the aisle between the cubicles and the break room, her one foot dragging in the felt. Her eyes are like blazing white lanterns. Her jaw is ajar, emitting a kind of mewling sound. Her pantsuit has begun to merge with her bulbous, shimmering, radiant flesh. Her co-workers calmly navigate paths around her, giving no indication that they've noticed or are capable of noticing the aberration she's become. As I turn and dash back down the stairs to our basement floor, I have a sudden marvellous mental picture of a man who is so much smarter than he looks. And he uses that to his advantage in askew. Keeps his head down, plays the fool, acts just buffoonishly and desperately enough that nobody looks at him twice save to cringe. Perhaps he wears a wedding ring and talks proudly about going home to his family. And every day he slaves away in a cubicle, acting as if all this is perfectly normal and he is perfectly happy here. A man who is much better equipped to survive in a skew than I have ever been. But when he's looking for allies, trying to find someone who is still awake enough, who is still able to see the same awful things that he sees, well, then he goes about the office, asking a question that would arouse no suspicion and make him seem even more pitiful than before. Have you seen Sabine from accounting? I thought Kenneth was a parasite. I'm somewhat unnerved to consider that he might be a partner in revolt. I race down the aisle and step into Kenneth's empty cubicle. I grab one of the framed photos from his desk and I examine it closely. He isn't even in it. It's a stock photograph of a smiling woman, standing with two smiling daughters, printed out on office paper. The others are all stock photos, sometimes the same models, sometimes just models that look similar enough at a glance, 
And this time I really can't stop myself from laughing out loud. Kenneth suspected I was awake to the nightmare of askew. He thought he might have a friend in me. He just needed to make me prove it. And so he embroidered his existing lies, creating this scenario with his wife and daughters turning murderous to try and draw me out. And he kept pushing it harder and harder, hoping to force me to admit the truth about my life here. For what? To recruit me? To what end? And why was he in such a hurry to do it? I rest my hand on the chair with a much vaunted lumbar support and push it back into position against the desk. It brings up a large square of felt with it. I lean down and yank the flooring up. It comes up in a square about two feet by two feet, quite easily and neatly, as if it's been lifted up a hundred times or more. Beneath, through a mess of wires and cables, is darkness. A crawl space. A tunnel. I don't hesitate. I lower myself down into the space, my feet gently knocking against the concrete below, and slip away into darkness. I feel my way along for a while, wriggling in silence beneath the floor of the basement, my hands pressed against the cold concrete. After a while, it occurs to me that I do have a lighter buried in the pocket of my jeans, and I take it out, faintly flicking it to try and produce any kind of glow, but I don't achieve much other than burning the tips of my fingers, and in the end I just slip it back into my pocket and resign myself to moving by touch alone. It becomes impossible to judge distance after a while. To begin with, I think I can hear my colleagues typing, their feet shifting against the felt somewhere over my head. But soon enough the noise perishes, and there's only a low, awful hum, and then soon enough nothing at all. Then I feel something rough beneath my hands, thick, cool silt and rattling stones, and the crawl space begins to curve sharply downwards. I wriggle on, blindly, heading down into the depths beneath the skew, and the longer I crawl, the more I begin to feel that I have left the world of the Orion building concern behind, and entered another space entirely, somewhere dirt-filled and comfortable, and not, perhaps, immediately hostile. Was this your plan, Kenneth? Just keep digging? Is this why you were in such a hurry to recruit me? Because you thought the city might find out what you'd been up to? You didn't want to fight your way out. You wanted to slip out, underneath the streets and sewers, bypassing the distractions and the hallucinatory streets, tunneling on, until the earth changes in texture and the air no longer tastes of rain, and you claw your path upwards like a newborn thing, to come out in London or Sydney or somewhere else entirely. A deserted basement office, an empty day, an endless series of empty, lonely days and nights. The perfect opportunity. Perhaps it'll be a field on the other side, 
bright and green, the birds singing in the copses to welcome you home, and the firm grit of a country path rolling out before you. Perhaps Kenneth, the friend I never knew I had, will be waiting there for me, giggling like an idiot. I want to hear this story. I want to know what gave him such an absurd, audacious idea. I want to know all of his tricks. How he must have been slinging dirt into that rucksack of his for months on end, carrying it back out of the office at the close of every day. I'm looking forward to finding out who he really is. I crawl on. And on. The world of askew behind me and long forgotten as I shuffle into darkness. Until quite suddenly, the texture beneath my hands changes again, becoming something that makes me halt my progress and lose all of my hope in a heartbeat. The tunnel feels smooth, taut and slick and smooth, like canvas drawn across the soil. As I reach up, I feel the same smooth texture across the roof, and as my hands pick down, I begin to find edges, overlapping and flapping loose, as if they've been sewn together. Something brushes against my hair, making me recoil. It's as if a hand has caressed my scalp. And I can hear something, too. Something like breath. I have the clear, unmistakable sense that I've run out of space down here. I can feel the end of the tunnel pressing in on me, just a foot or a little more away from my face. I wait, but nothing moves beside me in the darkness. Slowly, unhappily, I reach for my lighter. Flick it, once, twice, holding it aloft and ahead in the cramped confines of the tunnel. It ignites, and I'm staring into Kenneth's face. It's been drawn tautly across the mouth of the tunnel, a stretched-out tapestry of skin. Dirt is crumbling down through his empty eyelids, dribbling from his mouth. It appears that his progress has been halted by one final and very deliberate cave-in. Everything around me is skin. Everything around me is Kenneth. The walls and floor of the tunnel, over my head, his fingers and further back his toes, dangling like lanterns or, or fungal outcroppings from the roof. Where the rest of him has gone, the interior of him, I cannot say. I have been tunnelling into Kenneth. Desperately, I try to shift, seeing if I can turn myself around in the tunnel, get back to the office and away from this ghastly, impossible barricade, when my friend's eyelids bulge violently open, empty but alive and rolling in agony. I drop the lighter at once. The flame goes out, and Kenneth and I are left alone in the darkness. 
I can hear his lips move. I can sense him trying to mouth the syllables of a horror which he invented and which Eskew faithfully brought to life. Stitch, stitch, stitch. Stitch, stitch, stitch. I sit out by the old church, in the cool evening air, the inevitable rain drip, drip, dripping down from the stone eaves, just inches from my feet. There is black soil on my cheeks and beneath my shaking fingertips. There's the stink of sweat all around me. The memory of Kenneth's empty black eyes still staring into mine. He thought I didn't want to come with him because I'd found someone. I suppose he thought I was happy here. I don't think that's true. I think I was just afraid. I raise my head. High above the river, atop the towering, rickety architecture of this city's hills, stands the great and terrible dome of the cathedral. I keep my eyes on it as I pray. I don't believe there's mercy in you, Eskew. Nor do I believe there's sanity. But I know there's power in you, so perhaps there's intelligence as well. If you are capable of listening, I think, fixing my gaze upon that cathedral dome and whatever dwells within it, If you are capable of listening, then you are capable of bargaining. So bargain with me. Kenneth tried to escape and was punished for it. He won't try it again. Make your changes. Do what you must. But don't leave him down there, alone and awake in the darkness and the cold. The city is still... It will not answer me. I don't think it ever will. My lack of faith, it turns out, was misplaced. Or perhaps this was Askew's intention after all, to return things to a state of normality, insofar as that's possible. Because when I take my seat on Tuesday morning... Placing my satchel down, turning my computer on, I'm gratified to hear the rhythmic squeals of the stress ball from the cubicle opposite. I get up and peer over the partition. Kenneth is back in his chair. He has been put back together, inexpertly, perhaps, stitched into something that is both recognisably him and entirely new, a misshapen, armless, legless, eyeless, mouthless sack of skin, and something furiously writhing beneath it. He cannot work like this, of course, but then I'm sure he was never a useful or efficient employee anyway. And the stress ball has been sewn into the fat of his belly, so that when he rocks back and forth in his seat, it produces the same squeaking sounds as before. Eh, 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 eh. If his empty black eyes express anything, I tell myself, 
it is surely gratitude. I leave him there, and take my seat again in my cubicle, where I pick up my work with a renewed sense of calm and confidence. The noise of the stress ball has become a pleasant background beat, nothing more. Sometimes it's enough to know that you're being listened to. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 